I'm Annie AK. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we normally watch AMC's Mad Men trying to answer the question, is it still great, Bob? This week, though, before we start season three of Mad Men, we thought we'd take a little break and try something a little new. An interlude with 2003's Down With Love, directed by Peyton Reed and written by Eve Allert and Dennis Drake. This film opened wide on May 16, 2003. Down With Love opened this wide this weekend at number four in the box office, skyrocketing from its limited release slot at number 54. Number one was a new movie this week as well, The Matrix Reloaded. In second spot was Daddy Daycare. And in third spot was last week's number one, X2, X-Men United. The hit song that week was Sean Paul's Get Busy. Catch your block. Ladies man, man's man, man about town. Tries to <laughs> nail Barbara Novak as a woman who wants what every woman wants. Equal footing in the workplace and sex a la carte. Woo! Sex a la carte. Why don't we say that anymore? Or ever. It never picked up. Not enough people. I could have taken it with me to college if I had seen this movie in 2003. (laughs) I wish I had seen it in 2003. (laughs) I wish you guys saw it in 2003. (laughs) But now I have like the delight and joy of getting to hear your guys' uh, overall impressions of this film, which is now (laughs) uh, 17 years old. X amount of years old. Which is, because it came out the year I graduated high school and started college, during which time I became weirdly obsessed with it. So, <laughs> go ahead. Don't don't spare my feelings. Is it still great, Bobs? Yeah, I wouldn't worry too much about that because I loved this movie. I had so much fun watching it this morning. I'm a little disappointed that I rented it instead of bought it. Um, just with the cast and your recommendation and like the color palette and the first like 15 minutes I knew that I should have bought this movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) I can see how it became a comfort watch for you in college what about you Matt I just really was mad that the rental fee was $10 difference from the buying it digitally fee because I feel like if it had been like $5 difference I would have just bought it and now I'm like, well, now I got to double dip because I will want to watch this again and, and buy it. No, I like really thoroughly enjoyed it. And it from its whole kind of like what it's what it's doing is kind of like a, a referencing to kind of those those early 60s kind of films and, and the style that it's aping. And it's it's just fun. Yeah. A term I have learned today, which is a no sex <laughs> sex comedy. <laughs> Well, and and it's it kind of interesting too, Melissa, that we're we're covering this movie because I know on your recently on your other podcast, Wild Pretty Things, you covered the new Netflix show Hollywood, which features a fictionalized version of Rock Hudson early in his Hollywood career, and this type of movie, as you say, the the no sex sex comedy, um, was something that that Rock did a lot too. So it's it, it's kind of interesting the the layers then with that and kind of knowing a bit about who, who Rox Hudson was in his background and then some of the, the actors in, in this film and kind of what, what they're doing in their backgrounds. And it's just, it's just, it's just fun. And it's like fantasy and it's, it's kind of this whole level of like campiness and like self-awareness that I really respond to. Um, something that I've been doing 
lately, like the last, well, since about <laughs> March, um, I had never seen an episode of Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race, before in my life. Now I am on the season of All Stars that last aired, so I've watched 12 plus 5, so like almost 16 and a half, almost 17 seasons of this television oh. show since March. It's been, you know, a nice kind of similar form of, of campy kind of like, you know, escapism and, and you know just kind of it's really easy to to digest and it's interesting because the style of drag as on that show that i tend to respond to the most i mean i respond to it all but is this kind of like 60s mod fashion kind of like camp thing so it's it's been kind of fun to dive into that to the last couple months and then to come and watch this and they're kind of they're referencing similar things so that's been that's been fun and i i wish i had 17 years of relationship with this movie because mm-hmm. it's feeling a little bit like a lost opportunity. <laughs> There's a lot of like one-liners I could have been using for a long time. So well, like the gifts, like the reaction gifts too. Like <laughs> yeah, how yes. have I not seen this movie yet all in gift form? Like more people need to see this movie. It's so beautiful and it's so spot on with its one-liners. Constantly I like always wishing I had a gift from this movie in response to things. I feel like we've been missing out. <laughs> the conclusion is that this this movie is still great, Bob? Yes. Well, that's good, because uh, it would hurt if it wasn't, because I held it in <laughs> such high esteem in the, those precious early years of my uh blossoming adulthood i don't know that's a weird phrase i don't want to i regret saying it (laughs) um it's kind of a bummer to point this out but it just seems like any movie that is this smart with like gender dynamics is always going to be great because that shit doesn't really change (laughs) sorry (laughs) um just before we uh continue you know since i keep talking about how old i am and or how old i feel at least and that this came out 17 years ago when I was just, I was, I was literally not even an adult. I was 17. Um, other movies that came out this year were 13, in which Evan Rachel Wood was definitely like sick 14 when she filmed it. Uh, Pirates of the Caribbean, probably the first movie that really got me into movies. Master and Commander, Kill Bill Volume 1, Mystic River, Big Fish, Love Actually, which has several people who are in this movie, Holes, and Underworld, when, back when Michael Sheen had abs. Real quickly, something interesting about me as a person in 2003, both Holes and Underworld were very important <laughs> to me. So you can take what you want from that information. It does actually explain a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Can't think of two things that perfectly encompass <laughs> I was 12. Okay, anyway. I'm pretty sure I saw Underworld in theaters that year, too. Uh, in this movie, also had uh, very small parts by Jerry Ryan, who is in Star Trek. Matt? Yeah, yeah, no, she voiced, she was on Star Trek Voyager. That's where I primarily know her from. That in 2001, and I don't, she was on, was it like Boston Public, maybe around this time? Though, like right after? But yeah, mm-hmm. no. Definitely Seven of Nine. She was also reprised, reprised that role recently, earlier this year, in Star Trek Picard. But she was like kind of um, a name by this point, not like hugely, but she was somewhat established, I think. Um, yep. You also nope, had Ivana sure. Milicevic, who 
everyone has seen in something because she's one of those actresses where you're like that that woman um uh what else she was also in love actually which came out that year and Melissa George I think like right before she made it onto Alien so where were Ewan McGregor and Renee Zellweger at this point in kind of their career trajectories well I'm so glad you asked Matt uh so Moulin Rouge I mean you know they're both pretty established by this time Moulin Rouge came out in 2002 which makes sense because I went on my class trip to France in 2000 or Moulin Rouge came out in 2001 which makes sense because I went on my class trip to France in 2002 which was awkward let me tell you guys six months after 9-11 and Mm. you can cut that up because that's kind of a bummer uh and Chicago came out in 2002, uh, which makes more sense as to why they decided to just randomly tack on a musical number with an original song onto the credits with Ewan McGregor and, and Renee Zellweger. But they were definitely, like, widely known by this point. Right, because, like, Renee was nominated for an Oscar for Chicago, lost, Catherine Zeta-Jones won... Then this year, Renee wins Best Supporting for Cold Mountain, this, a movie I only know by reputation that I have not seen. The soundtrack's pretty good, though, because that, that's, my, that's my shit, as the kids say. Do the kids even say that anymore? God, I sound so old now. We're going to cut that out. No, leave it in and double it. Um, <laughs> no, because like Jack White was in it. He did Wayfaring Stranger, which also made a comeback in, what's that movie? With George Mackay? 1917, yeah. That one. There's actually a really good Emmylou Harris cover of that track as well, if anyone is interested. Um, Yeah, and Ewan's been, like, working steady since, what, like, 96 or 97? When's Trainspotting? 97? Ish. Yeah. Something like that. 96, maybe. When did, when did Ewan McGregor become Ewan McGregor? Because, like, Star Wars is, like, starts in 2000, or in 1999. But, like, it's really, like, Mulliners, right? Like, that's when Ewan becomes a th- becomes Ewan? Um, possibly, but... That's when he became Ewan to me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, were you guys surprised to find out this movie came out, like, five whole years before Mad Men? Um, I wouldn't say surprised as much i'm gonna go with no like i didn't really know that until we put it in the notes and are talking about it now but i guess i don't really have any feelings about that so i don't know why i'm talking i wasn't surprised because i had a kind of cultural awareness of this movie that kind of predated mad men in my life too because i guess a little like diatribe and you know narrowing myself down like in the period like I was still in high school. I graduated in 2004 when this came out. And then I have a clear memory of like Mad Men being this phenomenon that, you know, started when I was in in university. And even though there's only like five years between them, to me personally, they felt like a big five years. So it's kind of like my awareness of this movie had this kind of like before time versus like, you know, after time kind of connotation to it but it's interesting to kind of look at in the context of of Mad Men and kind of what Mad Men would end up doing kind of with the 1960s you know in terms of reintroducing that kind of silhouette in terms of like you know suiting or or fashion or like you know 
re-repopularizing cocktail culture and like what Mad Men kind of reintroduced. Whereas like this is playing with a lot of the same time periods. Again, this takes place in 1962, as did season two of of Mad Men. But like, was a bit of a disappointment box office wise. Didn't have obviously the the cultural impact. But then on top of that as well, I think this has a nostalgia obviously because of what it's it's doing for kind of this this kind of type of movie from the 60s this kind of 60s nostalgia that Mad Men really doesn't have so it's kind of interesting to compare them in the kind of that context and having that five extra years of you know production time or time to kind of get away from some of that innate nostalgia this reminded me more of and maybe it's a movie if we continue to this we can cover in the future but like that thing you do which was mm. came out you know you know 96 i think where again it, it, it kind of has this reverence for something it's referencing in the past that i think Mad Men through all of its kind of you know attention attention to detail in terms of this again the silhouettes and the costuming both for the the men and the women and you know kind of historical accuracy this nostalgia that Mad Men doesn't have that this is like totally doing this kind of campy nostalgia piece right mm-hmm. yeah Mad Men definitely follows more of that let's do gritty realism kind of thing and occasionally points out like the things that are it's 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 self-aware in a different way than the movie I think because the movie just kind of it knows what it is but also still take you know approaches it in a very sincere kind of manner and Mad Men is very serious and very sincere and this is how it really was I will say Mad Men is slightly better at including uh non-white characters even if they aren't really characters who get lines but again it's it's a pretty big difference in terms of diversity in that sense between 2003 and 2008 well yeah and like it's i'm trying to think of like this if someone tried to do down with love now i mean they're not making many movies right now um but like if you tried to do it kind of like you know through the kind of like 2019 2020 lens and like how they would approach kind of the the casting of it and and you know to to your point there annie where it's like they could have a very easy out and what they take it like well you know unfortunately you know this type of movie we're aping we're sending off it was it was all white so we want to be historically accurate to it blah 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 and kind of like take that very low shitty excuse out or do they do kind of i'm referencing all the 90s movies now but kind of do that kind of like race blind casting that you get and kind of much ado about and Brown is much ado about nothing where like, would they take that approach then? And like, that's even an earlier movie to this by like 10 ish years that has a more diverse cast and much ado about nothing, taking more of that kind of like colorblind approach to its, its casting as opposed to this very much staying in that, you know, 60s white cinema milieu and then you go to Mad Men where again being more diverse in terms of its casting but in the type of roles that we've seen on Mad Men so far like is just having a a black janitor or even you know giving Carla a couple lines as the uh housekeeper for the drapers like is that enough like I don't know I can see having a black girlfriend who she alludes to protests that they don't actually address yeah 
you just get to see him Kinsey on on the bus and then he's one of the two white guys because you have the white beatnik in the back that's rocking the Bernie Sanders glasses so yeah I don't know do you think this got this movie would have done better if it came out around the same time as Mad Men because we had a lot of other like throwback shows that came out afterwards trying to replicate the sort of Mad Men success like Pan Am which a movie I or a TV show that I only remember ads for and going oh it's not gonna work is it TV sh- a season of television I definitely watched to try and fill the Mad Men hole in my life at the time. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that's it's a good question. I like would it have just been seen even more as like a like being derivative? Like the whole like the whole movie is like that. It's self aware. It's campy. It is doing the no sex sex comedy from like the early sixties, like your your Doris Day, your Rock Hudson's, as we've talked about before. So like. If it comes out five years later, or let's say six or, or seven years later after that kind of madman has been established, is it rotting those cultural coattails, or is it getting hurt because people still don't get it? Like, I don't know. It's an interesting question. Melissa, what do you think? I just wonder if it would have been hurt by coming out while Madman was airing because it's so, like, fun and funny and campy and can be labeled a romantic comedy and madman is so serious and important the fans may have thought oh you're just lampooning this thing that we love mm-hmm. uh, i i think it is unfortunate that it came out long before gift culture became a thing ah <laughs> i may i i keep sit- telling myself i'm going to sit down through this movie and just make reaction gifts like i think the fainting secretary is around but mostly it's you know ewan mcgregor um dancing with a sh- in, in a towel and eating chocolate while peering with his bright blue sensual eyes at renee he makes so many good like facial expressions so like micro good. changes in his facial expressions are so funny well, it's kind of interesting, too, because, like, one of the things I think that works about the movie is that it does, for all its self-awareness, plays itself very straight. But because we know that he's playing someone who's pretending to be someone else, all those moments where he kind of breaks and it's a little wink nod to what's actually going on works as opposed to, you know, if he were self-aware and was, like, in on the joke with the audience kind of thing. He's so good in this movie. He's really good. This is made for him. I think this, I don't know, but I feel like this is one of the first movies where he was just like, handsome guy. Yeah, and he really does it too. I mean, it's just unreal. (laughs) He's so handsome. Do we get his performance in Birds of Prey without this movie? Oh, I still haven't seen it. Oh, no. (laughs) His performance in Birds of Prey is also so good and it's like over the top in a way that is kind of reminiscent of this even though he's not doing like the same charms no so but he's definitely doing like a very big thing (laughs) that very much works oh (laughs) now i may have to watch it birds of prey is an excellent movie i love it it's like one of my favorites i've seen this year uh speaking of catch a block how do you feel about catch a block uh in a world of don drapers ladies man man's man man about town he doesn't seem to be quite as conflicted about his many many women he knows who he is yeah i kind of like that more 
Catcher Block, like, strikes me as the type of, like, assuming he and Don exist in the same world, let's say that no magazine still shows up at Sterling Cooper in, in season three to, to do some work. <laughs> um, <laughs> I wonder if that fanfic is, exists on AO3. We will look that up after. Because um, then they start kissing. Anyways, no. <laughs> um, I, I think, though, that, like, Don, that Catch is, like, the type of person that, like, Don wouldn't, like, and wouldn't respond to. Mm-hmm. And probably, in large part, whether Don has the the emotional maturity and, and language to realize this, um, would resent the self-awareness that Ewan McGregor seems to have in this movie, as opposed to the way that John Hamm plays Don Draper slash Dick Whitman and kind of it's the, I think it's that that not knowing like are you Dick are you Don the push and pull of that that like seems to be the kind of tabula rasa like the ping pong ball at the end of Don's string of ping pong balls of his his brokenness and the ways that he's behaved shitty and acts shitty um he'd probably kind of resent that that knowing this I don't I don't see them getting along um I totally see that and I could imagine also Don being like catcher is so freaking fake and you can't fool me which would be ironic uh-huh uh-huh I see that Annie I also think that Don Draper isn't willing to see himself like as a philanderer when catcher block is totally like here's me here's what I do it's no big thing. Yeah. Even I'm not hiding any like secret guilt about it. And Don is like out here thinking that he's like you know, he's not doing anything wrong. He's just a tortured soul, like <laughs> trying to find something. Trying to do the right thing. Well, it's funny because like I feel like Don sees Dick and Don as two separate people. But at the end, I think catch recognizes the overlap of catch and zip yeah and it seems like catcher actually like is a changed person Mm -hmm. when it's like any change in don is like just an act Mm. just a, a thicker layer of dick whitman added on to his john draper veneer like when people talk about like, oh, you're multi-layered like an onion. You're like, okay, but every layer is still just onion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what what about this? And I'm just thinking this off off the top of my head. So feel free to agree, disagree. Not in the notes. Like whatever we can can cut it out if we want. But like we've talked about the language of Down with Love and the language of Mad Men, despite being similar periods, being different. Is Catcher a cartoon version of? Roger Sterling as opposed to Don Draper. Oh, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't know if I like it either. And I, that's where I say like the language of both works is, is very different and they're doing very different things. But is there more of a comparison to how both works kind of like approach different attitudes? And again, they're, they're different ages, you know, their, their circumstances like relationship wise are, are different too. But I think in terms of their attitudes, I think there's more of an alignment between Roger and, and Catcher than there is Don and Catcher. Hmm. I mean, not to say that Catch isn't a complicated fellow, but I think because we don't get to see those deeper sides, 
we don't know that there isn't something else some emptiness driving it like we do with Roger I don't like it <laughs> <laughs> sorry <laughs> I did uh, I do want to point out that one line where Barbara is talking on that uh, game show uh, where she they bring up men who change women as often as they change their shirts and I immediately thought of Don mm-hmm. and his office shirts their shirts from Minkins yeah 100% oh I think that I think that Catcher Black is really a Pete Campbell if Pete had any game okay yeah, I can see that I don't like yeah. it either <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm not saying I like it but I mean we follow Catcher Sorry, through most of this movie doing something very devious to get back at someone for a petty reason and get ahead at work which are big <laughs> Pete Campbell energies then again, now I'm coming around to him being Don again because remember the whole elevator thing with Roger? Oh my god, yes. Uh, yes hashtag yes. right in the face. <laughs> so every man in Mad Men is just a different facet of Catcher Block. But without the, the winning smile and sort of overtly light charm. Well, I think dating Zip would be like dating Adam Whitman, so I, I like where you're going with this. No, I just think like did think it was interesting. So there's a, the the one scene kind of towards the the middle or back third of the movie where um, David Heights Pierce's character and Sarah Paulson's character were at the uh, the Beatnik Cafe somewhere in the village, and it got shut down by the cops. So they invited everyone back to Catcher's apartment, which they're pretending is is David Hyde Pierce's character, whose name escapes me right now. I should have should have written it down. Matt. I apologize. Right. And uh, they're having the, the whole beatnik party's there. And the one woman who's naked with the beret <laughs> approaches Catcher and starts like reading him with his suit and, you know, talks about Madison Avenue. And it felt very much like when uh, Dawn smokes pot with, with Midge and, and her mm. friends. It's all like, it's a lie, man. Blah, blah, blah. It just reminded me of that. And then it made me wonder if. In my head canon, if Midge was also at that party somewhere and we just didn't get to see her. Nineteen sixty-two. I like to think she was there. I certainly hope so. I like so. to think she was. Maybe near the bar. Um. Okay. So there's a line in here that really uh hurt me for its continued accuracy, which is uh Sarah Paulson's character at one point says, "The men who resent my work won't give me the time of day, and the men that respect my work won't give me the time of night." And it's like. Yeah, it is still, in 2020, um, difficult, especially in media about, like, powerful businesswomen, to see them have, uh, what am I looking for, like, well-rounded relationships with men. Like, it's always how it is in this movie, where if you respect my work, like, you don't want to sleep with me because you don't want to be emasculated, but you will use me to, like, get ahead. But if you resent my work, it's like, yeah, I'll sleep with you, but I won't, like, go to lunch with you. And it's just like, what a bummer, Sarah Paulson, for you and for all of us. (laughs) Why can't we have it all? Uh, That does remind me that scene in uh, the boardroom when when Vicky first introduces Barbara to the board members, all the initial guys, and... 
as Vicky is talking and introducing Barbara and this book that she's bringing and that they're as a company publishing and they're like, oh, Vicky, by the way, do you think you can pour me a cup of coffee? Oh, it's uh-huh. out. Yeah. Since you're up, since you're making another cup uh, or another pot, I'll have a cup too. And what's his face is just like, oh, none for me. I'll have a Sanka. It's like, oh, I honestly often watch the scenes with Peggy and the and the boys and just wait for them to pull that shit. Yeah. Um, speaking of like all those like um, fairly modern feminist ideas or at least addressing these things that that we still as women deal with and that sort of patriarchal way of seeing things and generals and all that still happen even now. I don't like you guys, I haven't really seen the the Doris Day Rock Hudson movies that this movie uh, references, so I don't know exactly what kind of messages they're delivering and themes that they're demonstrating. But in the end, it's kind of like an alternate universe ending where like, yay, sexism is solved. The patriarchy is mm-hmm. turned up on its head. Um And Matt, you mentioned talking about Hollywood. Uh, so I wanted to ask... I actually had um, a, a question similar in that is this because I know you complained a lot about Hollywood, Melissa, and how it kind of addresses this like, oh, we fixed everything with one movie that somehow also stars a straight white man. Um, is it the same kind of problem where it's like we fixed everything? It's all fine. Yay. So for me personally, I'm less offended by this, and I think it's because of, like, the level of camp and, like, winking at the audience that this movie does all the way throughout. So I just feel like it doesn't take itself so seriously. It doesn't feel like it's being prescriptive. It's not, like, a super serious movie. Yes, even though they do at the end say the battle of the sexes is over. (laughs) (laughs) Which, like, that's so stupid. No, it's not. (laughs) And I think that's one of the, like, it is campy and it is kind of, like, playing with those those motifs and it's kind of satirizing them a bit. But, like, I think that's part of the thing that feels the most dated to me mm-hmm. about the movie and that maybe in some ways that like doesn't necessarily hold up the best because again not knowing intimately the language of like the pastiche that it's doing with kind of its original sources there are definitely elements that felt to me very like mid-audies romantic comedy as you said that right where like, you could easily like transpose the dynamics to um, failure to launch or how to lose a guy about 10 days and even how to lose a guy in 10 days there's even that same whole motif of writing an article you know about you know battle of the sexes and what you can do kind of sort of thing like for a magazine so like it's definitely trading in a lot of like familiar tropes to me from that that period and the way it kind of is kind of winking towards second wave feminism and again this is 1962 so the feminine mystique i think was released in in 63 and that's kind of one of the major kind of kicking points to second wave feminism as you're both well aware um 
but it, it kind of, I don't know, it's having fun with the whole kind of like, oh, my wife won't sleep with me now because she read this damn book, blah, 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 blah. Like, so like, it is campy and it's not, it's not wholly like offensive to me, a cis white male, um, in, in that kind of similar way. But I think, again, it is kind of perpetuating some of those same things both of its time and then I think we think come up again in Mad Men where it kind of again we said earlier that Mad Men doesn't have the same nostalgia for the period that this does but it's kind of like the, that's the way things were back then and ha 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 let's laugh about it while still kind of ignoring the same structural inequalities that um we were faced with in 2003 or 2008 or 2020 right so if any of that made sense yeah, definitely. And I wonder if I feel a little bit differently about it because this movie's like, what, an hour and 37 minutes? What about that? And like with Mad Men, it's going to be how many seasons? And like, so many. <laughs> it's not going to be changed. And Hollywood was seven hours and they acted like they changed it. I don't know. I just, the stakes feel lower to me, I guess. Totally. Totally. No, I, I, I to- totally agree. I hear you. And I- maybe I'm just. <laughs> Trying to protect like the really fun time I had watching. Oh, this I totally like. I totally, I totally understand. Like, I like. I still would like to. Well, I would watch this movie again in the heartbeat. If someone's like, "Hey, do you yeah, want to watch yeah. this now?" I'd say I would one hundred percent say yes. Because again, it's it's campy, it's fun. It it the color palette is I I dig. The the costumes are great. The production design, like some of those sets, whether it's you know the stuff at the office. Or the uh, swinging pad that like Ketch has with the automated like record shooter when it goes wrong when <laughs> when yeah. Matt can't figure out how to use it like like it's a good movie, mm-hmm. but I think in part of that too it's like there are things that like when you kind of and I don't know if this is always I don't think this is a bad thing to do but I think sometimes uh, do I want to say that. I don't think this is a bad thing to do, but I don't think it can. It necessarily always has to detract from your anyone's admire, anyone's enjoyment from the work. Um, but it's like what's when it is based on something that is, you know, at this point thirty some years older, you know, almost sixty some years old now. Um, what? are the assumptions that it's perpetuating that it's not thinking about. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, again, I don't think it necessarily needs to detract from your, your mind or anyone's enjoyment of it, but it's, it's interesting to kind of think about where it's kind of, yes, it's doing like a 1960s thing, but it's also doing a very like 2003 sort of thing. And like at the end, and two, like this movie opened, like as we mentioned earlier, opposite, the second matrix movie as like counter programming too so like it's it's interesting to think about in the context of itself and the context of now and that's why we're kind of even it's what the whole show is about in the context of mad men and then we're talking about this so it's all it's all part of the same cocktail awesome like it's just a fun fine time i think it was actually a really nice um palate cleanser for in between mad men seasons and like I had not a great week, <laughs> and I rewatched this movie this afternoon, and honestly, it just turned around my whole day. I it put me in just a really good mood. Like you said, it's a beautiful movie. I don't think it had a very 
uh, large budget um, other than a few of the big set pieces. Barbara's um, apartment is just an absolute dream. That fireplace oh is gorgeous. Like the costumes alone, I could go through the whole thing and just tell you all my favorites, which is just about most of them, especially <laughs> when Vicky and Barbara f- um, go to first meet Catcher in the restaurant and they they have the sort of complimentary outfits of bright yellow and houndstooth i think and they have their little choreographed entrance oh so god it's such a beautiful movie it just it'll turn your day around i was delighted by their little like musical entrance (laughs) wearing their yellow and their checkers like i had no idea that was gonna be happening (laughs) in this movie and oh my god i think i have this down for later but um barbara's entrance with the 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 structured collar and everything and she walks across the street to the cab her walk is so like i don't know i can't describe it it is a thing of it is a masterpiece yeah it really is 100 percent smoking cigarettes in the elevator I love how dramatic they make the cigarette smoke. Like, when you're smoking a cigarette, if you blew cigarette smoke at the camera, it's not going to fog up the whole fucking room. But it's, like, amazing that it does that. <laughs> or that's how... That was um, that was our intro to Vicky, right? Where it's just her alone in the elevator, and she must have been smoking, like, 12 mm-hmm, packs mm-hmm. on the way down from the top floor. And then um, when they do the, like, no-sex-sex sex comedy pantomime of the phone call... They both oh, smoke God. cigarettes at the end, obviously. That they weren't holding. They, both, they right. Uh, they blow the smoke into the camera, and it, like, whites out the screen. It's so good. <laughs> Such drama. Just, oh, so good. Honestly, that's one of the best scenes ever. I remember showing that movie to a friend. I showed this movie to several friends in college, but I had a friend who just kept laughing at it because he thought it was so corny. And I'm like, or is it the most brilliant thing you've ever seen? <laughs> right. <laughs> it's supposed to be that way. That's Think by design. About it. And it's fun the way it's like, it seems like, uh, it's like pantomiming her, pleasuring him until he's like, no, 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 no. I'm going to cook for you. And they switch positions, so to speak. Uh, something they also talk about <laughs> later at the end of the so movie. So funny. And it and goes on all for the puns, so long. The double entendres. <laughs> it's just like, oh. And it's like, and then like, cause it's just, cause it's like split screen and then it goes like to horizontal and then a diagonal just so they could like do more of the physical gaze. And like the planning they would have had to do when they were shooting that to be able to like edit it, to make it line up. Like it's, it's like, so yeah, good. no, it's impressive. It's impressive. So good. I think we've already skipped ahead to the part where we're just going to talk about everything we loved about it. Yeah, that works. Oh, I do have one more comment, um, kind of in the vein of like, things that we often have to see on Madman, which is they have this board meeting and the one guy's like talking about how his wife read the book and he's like this woman acts like she has a mind of her own and then they say like this goes straight to the sanctity of the man's most fundamental right and I'm just like if I was in this room I'm really curious sir can you enlighten me on what you think that fundamental right is can you just to get say those words out loud can we just to get to sleep with his mistress whenever he wants forget the wife right oh it's not his wife it's (laughs) his mistress that's even stupider (laughs) which is also very madman oh that reminds me there was another thing where 
at the very beginning we meet Maurice who designed the cover of the books and he's just like in that very brief moment so clearly coded as like the low-key gay one and barely coded yeah uh, it's, it's not so much subtext as it is text and but in that way that you kind of like expect to have seen in 60s movies where like we're not gonna talk about it but we all know um and obviously it reminded me of Saul but uh this guy's clearly having way more fun than Saul okay now do we talk about do we want to talk about bits or bobs uh (laughs) I mean we have been talking about all our best bits oh okay so I was in I can't remember like what it's called like speech when I was in middle school Mm -hmm. and the one like thing I did for a speech competition was a performance of who's on first and all these men having like initials as names and they do the gag about like oh okay's down with tb and she says oh I hope he's okay like you know tb tuberculosis haha I was like these are who's on first type jokes and this is great for me because I did like one smart academic thing in middle school and it was this (laughs) yeah no, the, the screenplay is very smart. Like it's 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 sharp and it, it like knows what it's doing and it. But it's just that kind of like wordplay as like dad jokey as like it can mm-hmm, can mm-hmm. read is like shits my shits my swag. I like yeah no I I am into it. So I love when things like cut from one thing to another, like answering the question asked in one scene, that kind of thing. Where uh, so we get this amazing scene in the beginning where they're talking about socks men's socks and oh yeah and catcher's <laughs> yes. new secretary uh who's very shiny and um clearly very happy to be here and brand new she says i'm new and david Hyde pierce goes they're always new and she <laughs> eavesdropping the conversation where it sounds like they're talking about penis length but they're talking about socks and she passes out because it makes it sound like he has two of them, which is a real medical thing, but I don't. Um, sorry, the cat just got into the dresser. It was really <laughs> funny. Um, which is a real thing that happens, guys. But, um, and they peer out and they're like, oh my God, she just totally passed out. What is it about the workplace that women just can't seem to handle? And they cut to Barbara going, men. I love that. Mm, yes. I love those. So moments. funny. That is the exact thing. You're like, oh, we answered our own question. It's great. There's so many good moments. I like that phrase, uh, the the line also, like, you're a hit. You're bigger than the pill. Which also does yes. make a, a guest appearance in early season Mad Men. Yes. Yes, indeed. Yeah. So let's just talk super briefly about how Down With Love is definitely a predecessor to How to Lose the Guy in 10 Days. Like, that's a thing, correct? They're actually the same year. Oh, wow. They're both 2003. My mind is blown. I don't know. Like, they're not the same story, obviously, but it just it feels crazy. Earlier, it's February 2003. Wow. They were, they, somebody was over here, Pete Campbelline. I came up with it independently. <laughs> yep. Nope. I, I knew they were around the same time, but I didn't look up the dates. Yeah, that opened on 
February 7th, 2003, and as we said, this was, was May 2003. Um, also, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days is based on a book? I what? I did not know that. Um, did we want to talk a bit about the um, final act reveals? Uh, yeah. I loved Renee so much in that moment, and you're like, this is what the Oscars are for. It goes on for so long, and she is an evil genius. I think that my jaw was on the floor. Much like Ewan's when they finally cut to him. I think it's so cool, too, that they didn't cut away from her at any time and get any reaction. Right. And I think also... I was having not a hard time, but I had like, you know, a little a little friend on my shoulder being like, you can't ship this. These are all lies. Like, this is bad and not cute. And so therefore, stop getting like attached to these people in like romantic way. And then she does this monologue and you're like, oh, it's fine. <laughs> She's like, in on it the whole time. I love it. Played the player. Love it so much. <laughs> like, how how else could you possibly have made any of that okay? Right. Exactly. So good. Exactly. Yeah, I didn't see it coming. I, no. Yeah, I didn't at all. It, it They got me. It's they a, got me. It's a really fun turn on it. You know, it really turns the whole concept on its head, which is really fun. And I love that, like, afterwards, you have two men in an apartment while it's raining, Ewan's got his like sad boy Moulin Rouge look going on in a in a robe, mm. and they're just like, "I don't care about sex anymore. I just want to be married. I just want to be married." Yeah, it's like a fun take on the whole like changing a man through love kind of trope. Well, that's why that's why Greece too is better than 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 Greece, right? Because. It's him growing and, and, and changing. And Stephanie doesn't have to change. She's just herself. And it's like, I mean, it's Greece, but like inverted. And that's part of the reason it's better. That can be our next. I was going to say, that's another like movie that takes place in the 60s. So maybe we can add that to the list with that thing you do. And I recently watched The Love Witch. And that's my current new obsession. Um, but we can talk about that after. It's just like, it, and it's interesting too, that whole reveal, how it's kind of like, when you're talking about, this is a battle of the sexes, and you know, the it's, you know, poking fun at it, and this whole kind of like, push and pull, and it's like, who really had power the whole time, right? Like, it's, this is maybe a like, kind of flimsy example, but it's kind of like, the less comedic reveal in, um... <clears throat> the the favorite right where you have this this battle between emma stone and rachel weiss for um olivia coleman's queen queen anne's kind of you know affections and who gets to be kind of the the titular hand of the queen um the, the titular favorite and there's that kind of reveal and i i think i'm off off-putting in some ways with all the bunnies and it's like well and you know, what was going on the whole time and was you know pitting them against each other and again we're all just rabbits under under the the throne or whatever my read is so it, it's kind of reminded me of that where it's like <clears throat> barbara i guess well she's not actually barbara but anyways had 
was kind of like running this whole con the whole time and using the systems around her to her advantage and to invoke madmen again it kind of and again it's not gonna be a perfect comparison because both madmen and down with love are while they're both the 60s they're, they're kind of playing in different playgrounds and different sandboxes with different sets of rules but it kind of reminded me of stuff we've talked about a little bit with Joan, right? And then how she's used, can kind of, is she's more limited than Barbara is, but in terms of using kind of the structures to pull the strings that exist to kind of like try and better herself, but keeps, she hits walls where Barbara doesn't. And then I guess in that comparison, um, if Sarah Paulson's then Peggy, the one who is assumed, and you talked about before, Melissa, to be successful, you have to be sexless, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's 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 that thing where it's like the, the Margaret Thatcher iron panties, like, you know, thing that, you know, right? So it's it's kind of interesting to see those same sort of dynamics played in kind of like a different playground. It's almost like this is the PG animated version and Mad Men's, like, the animated PG comedy and Mad Men's like, you know, your, your 14A, PG-13 are in some cases kind of grim, dark version of the same thing. I don't know. I only saw the movie yesterday, so I'm still, <laughs> I'm still percolating. <laughs> still processing. Um, uh, there was a lot of fun things about it too, other than just uh, the great comedy jokes. How'd you guys feel about uh, our sidekick B-plot wh- played by the fantastic and amazing and talented Sarah Paulson and the fantastic amazing uh, David Hyde Pierce I loved it they were so funny together (laughs) he said I've never had a girl call me (laughs) (laughs) never had girl yeah no Go ahead. Yeah, I loved it too. We were sorry. We were we were talking about it kind of before we started recording, but it reminded me reminded me of when I saw Failure to Launch, which is a couple of years after this. I think oh five oh six something like that. Um, and the first time I saw Failure to Launch, which is as we know, Sarah Jess- Jessica Parker, Matthew McConaughey rom com. I remember being more invested in that B plot between the best friends character. So it's again, similar dynamic to what we're talking about here between Justin Barthos character and Zoe Deschanel's character, like in that movie. And it kind of reminded me a bit of that. And I was more invested in their relationship, not, you know, the A plot. So it's again, talking about these kind of romantic comedies and, you know, the, the tropes that I tend to respond to. Interesting. Listeners psychoanalyze that <laughs> as you will. And then email us. And that's still great. Bob at gmail.com. Kind of hilarious. I thought they actually had more like on-screen sexual chemistry than Renee and Ewan, who are great at their parts. But like, I think more so than our leads, uh, DHP and Sarah Paulson kind of understood the tone even better somehow. And it is also kind of entertaining that they have a pretty good kiss, but also both are pretty great. Yeah. Which we weren't aware of at this time when this movie came out, but he probably had an idea about David Hyde Pierce. Watching it now feels a lot like watching um, Ellen Page in Umbrella Academy season one. <laughs> You're just like, this is not correct. We know better. 
<laughs> but the two of them have so much fun. I love, um, I think this line a lot very often when I'm just like, what am I doing uh, it, with my life? Where Vicky says, I hate men for as man crazy as for as man crazy as I've been my whole life, I sure can't stand them. I think I'll get, I'll just get married. <laughs> I know. <laughs> It'll solve all my problems. Oh, it's fantastic. Oh my God. So many good lines. I wonder if you to like the knowing this and the way like it is, you know, that, that kind of no sex sex comedy from the sixties and not like how intentional Paulson and, and Hyde Pierce's chemistry, even over, Selwager's and McGregor's as as good as the leads are in their roles how much of that's almost kind of like an intentional and an inversion because when like you're thinking about kind of the studio system and the you know the 50s and like the early 60s right before like kind of you know and even going back to the 40s like how much chemistry did some of those leads have together like yes sure Hepburn and Tracy are an example of like two people who like could be in a movie like this that would like smoke on screen, but like how much of it is then like you're putting Rock Hudson with Doris Day and like they, ha- I, I don't know. I don't know. I guess I, I need to go back and do some of my film history to kind of see if that merit merits out any. Cause like it's, they're so kind of like, despite the kind of double entendres of like the split screen and stuff, the leads are just so chaste and that's what it's doing. And I don't get the same kind of chasteness from the other two. But maybe that's just the casting. I don't know. Well, we can just all throw this out because it's a throwaway. Bits and bobs. <laughs> Sorry. Bits Rambly and today. Bits and bobs. So I will start. So I wasn't color-coded, so that was my fault. Um, oh. Are we going to go in order or no? Sorry, Whatever. I'm all over the place now. Whatever you're feeling yeah, right now. I, yeah. Um... Just it was really fun to see Seven of Nine and Obi-Wan Kenobi kiss in this movie. Because that would have been something that would have been forward. That would have been something that would have been forward in my 2003 mind. And it kind of, you know, was fun because I didn't know Jerry Ryan was in this movie. And then Jerry Ryan kissed Ewan McGregor. And my teenage nerd brain was like, oh, that's Seven of Nine kissing Obi-Wan Kenobi. Very cool. Like really kissed. Like real kissed. Wasn't sold on her British accent, but it's a campy movie, so we'll just go with it. Well, because he also had uh, what's her bucket Russian lady doing being French and Melissa George being Swedish, and she's what's she English? I don't know. I don't know either. Uh, Me either. Um, about Operation Paperclip. Uh, coming yeah, up in the very beginning. That. Was not expecting that. Uh, for anyone who's not in the know, <laughs> now it no. Anyways, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> there is a, a reference. Once upon a time after World War Two, uh, America had recruited a lot of uh, Nazi scientists, basically, to help with the arms race and just general science and development and to help us win the space race. Did I say that already? I don't even know. I'm really tired. But Nazis are bad. We're good. But some bad Nazis are good scientists, Melissa. (laughs) Which is a great line. I love it. (laughs) Um, And then it leads to um, Ewan 
wiggling his hips in a towel. Yeah, it's real good. Um, I have to thank Hunters on Amazon because I didn't know about Operation Paperclip until I watched that earlier this year. So that's embarrassing both to my education and to me. If it makes you feel better, I'm pretty sure I learned because of this movie. The uh, the biggest or one of the biggest names of which being Werner von Braun, who was the the Nazi rocket scientist who ended up working for the space program and was essential in America landing on the moon and winning the space race. So, yeah, not great, Bob. Not great, Bob at all. Um, the director. Peyton Reed obviously directed the Ant-Man movies, etc. But he also directed one of my like top five new girl episodes called Fancy Man Part One. So if you know, you know. And bring it on. Bring it on. That's wild. Careers are yeah, no, Peyton Reed's <laughs> had a had kind of a fascinating career as a director. Okay, so Judy Garland appears in this movie, and then Renee Zellweger grew up to play Judy Garland in the movie. <laughs> grew up to play Judy Garland and win her second Oscar. I think that's where grew up to play Judy Garland. That's, that's, yeah, that's good. Yeah, and then won an Oscar for a similar, for Judy Garland a couple of years later, because this is 62, and I think that movie takes place in 68. Um, so yeah, that was, a, that was a fun fact. Um, and then Annie has like the most important one here at the, the end. So on the, I was looking at all the different headliners and everything like that when they were going on their dates as Barbara and Zip. And in the background, I noticed that they saw Lenny Bruce, which is funnily just a touchstone of the 60s. I really like The Marvelous Miss Maisel. I don't think it's like the most amazing show, but it's really fun and smart. And I think probably I was a bit to down with love. And what's his bucket is amazing as Lenny Bruce. So I enjoyed. Yeah, he's hot. Very. He's in something else too. Where I'm like, <laughs> you're very attractive, and I can't figure out exactly why. So I, I'm in. He smokes sad cigarettes, and it's hot. <laughs> <laughs> so I enjoyed the idea of the two of them at a comedy club watching that Lenny Bruce just before he gets arrested or something. Also, I was just I got distracted just now looking up who was playing. Um, Ed Sullivan. That's why I got distracted. Uh, because it's a pretty good imitation, I think. I mean, the the you can tell there's obvious makeup going on, and um, all that. But uh, the voice is really great, really good. Yeah, and it was like an interesting choice, like to compare how they did Sullivan compared to like Garland, where they had like the actor face on and obviously did some kind of makeup or prosthetic, and he's he's doing the voice, but like you don't so you see him like on the TV screen as like you would have seen him in 1962 on your television sets. Um, but then the Garland footage was was like archival footage of her singing what this the song Down With Love, the, the titular song. Um, but then it kind of was, they're looking through from offstage and it's like a, an actress that you don't see like in close-up and it's the archival footage. So yeah. that was a, a tasteful way in which in which to do that because Renee had not yet grown up to play Judy. Yeah. So. <laughs> All without having to do de-aging CGI either. One of, uh, I guess one other kind of last comparison to, to Mad Men, we're going to kind of the best bits section. Um, but something I'm always watching for since we, we brought it up 
um, earlier in, in season one of Mad Men with, with Don and Rachel is people lighting other people's cigarettes for them and kind of the, mm-hmm. the yeah. intimacy in that moment. Um, and when Mac is seeing, is it, sorry, what's Sarah Paulson's character name? Alice? Vicky Novak or Vicky, Vicky, Vicky Hiller. Vicky, when um, Mac is seeing Vicky at, at the restaurant, she's with the, the, the quarterback and Peter Tremendous <clears throat> catches watch. Yeah, with, with Mr. Tremendous. And uh, he misses his cue to light her cigarette and he's fumbling with it and catches like, oh, dude, he, he fumbled the ball. You can, now's, now's your chance. I was like, yeah, Don wouldn't have fumbled that. He would have known. Another moment I just uh, saw that I noted when catch was talking to the private investigator and to figure out what's going on with Barbara Novak. And he's just like, look, some somewhere, sometimes some guy hurt her. And I was like, buddy, look in the mirror. I love that. (laughs) I love those little moments. Or when at some point he's just like, uh, telling Peter McManus, he's like, you said that she was a spinster. It's like, I did not. It's like, she didn't sound like a blonde on the, on the telephone. It's like, ah, it's cause she's not. Anyways, I love, I love this script so much. I think it's just a delight. The music was fantastic. Even the very cheesy song and the, um, the fly me to the moon, um, montage, whatever, where they're um, both getting up and they have their two different renditions of the song going on. Uh, it's so dreamy. I love it. I love this movie a lot, guys. I'm so glad you enjoyed it. Yeah, it was really fun. I'm really glad that we took the time to watch it. Because we've been talking too. about it since we basically started this podcast. <laughs> so, Yeah. <laughs> and I still have yet to disappoint you, Melissa, and my man with my recommendations. No, you give great recommendations. That's a fact. (laughs) One day I'm going to let you down, but it's not today. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, I think we covered it, guys. What do you think? So in conclusion, Down With Love, it's campy AF, and we love it. And it's definitely still great, Bob. I'm glad we took a break from all the dourness of Mad Men, but... We are going back to it next time, aren't we? Yes. Yes, we are. Season three, episode one. By the way, spoilers, Melissa, there's a character named Lane played by like an actor that Annie and I both like. So I guess okay. we, better, we, we better start season you three. You probably Sorry. do too. He is an actor who is in stuff. It's from a family of actors. Should I um, Google it? Is it a Hemsworth? It's no, not a Hemsworth. But I do have a funny story about this actor when we come across him. Oh, and that's a perfect sizzle to end the podcast on. So, Annie, if people wanted to follow you more on the internet, where could they do so? Why, you can find me on Twitter or on Instagram at Pop Artery, P-O-P-A-R-T-E-R-Y, where mostly now I'm just posting pictures of my cat. Uh... I also happen to have a podcast where I just talk a lot about Jane Austen and her books and all related works with uh, our friend Jesse called The Daily Nightly, spelled with a K. Check us out there. Melissa, where can people find more of you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at Mellow Yellow, which is M-E-L-L-O-O-Yellow. 
You can find me as the co-host of the Wild Pretty Things podcast, where our last two episodes are um, horror catch-up episodes. The first one is the movie Carmilla and the much maligned, but I love Black Christmas. (laughs) And then our episode coming soon is covering The Lodge and Relic. So you can find me over there talking about movies. Awesome. And Matt, where can we find you? Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter at at Mattyhue, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. Please feel free to email us at stillgreatbob at gmail. We'd love to hear from you and your guys' thoughts on Mad Men or on Down With Love or about Ewan McGregor in Adele. That would be great, too. You can also catch us on Twitter at stillgreatpod. Uh, Please rate and review us on the podcatching system of your choice. We'd appreciate it. And a huge thank you to DJ Empirical for our super awesome theme. All right. Well, bye. Till next time, guys. Later days. Previously before that, James Purefoy and Kevin McKidd did a gay romantic comedy together, which is not good, but they have a lot of really good making out scenes. So it's probably good.